we had part one of the show regarding the death of George Floyd. Where are we now since the death of George Floyd? That was part one. Tonight we review what was going on before the death of George Floyd in county jails, in prisons, everywhere you can imagine where law enforcement of some kind should have been doing the right thing. In this case, you're going to learn tonight, as we learned a week ago, we are worse off now than we were then. Where are we now? Part two is the death of George Floyd and law enforcement abuse. Hang on to your seat, folks. AJC Radio takes off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with David Banks, Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Samson Riddle, William Williams, Quentin Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and Tanique Wright, and the entire AJC radio team. As tonight we deal with a, a really difficult discussion, but one that has to happen. Folks were singing Kumbaya as coming together as a result of the outpouring protest that took place with the death, with the seeking for justice for George Floyd. Uh, that was very short-lived, and as we learned a week ago, the numbers have increased in police brutality, police abuse, and black African-American men being killed by police officers. Uh, we're going to get into this tonight. And, uh, Samson, as we get ready on this one, uh, being a, really a continuation of a week ago, um, Give me your thoughts as we go down this road to review certain cases before the death of George Floyd you would think would have motivated change, but did not. Neither did the death of George Floyd. Give me your thoughts. Well, I think it, over those last few decades, I mean, it just I remember hearing about it whenever I was younger about, you know, uh, what happened with Rodney King out there in the L.A. riots, everything like that's going on out there. And I mean, the man was recorded being beaten by police officers, and there wasn't an outcry. And now it's just it seems like more and more – um, police are getting more and more basically flagrant with their attacks on all people, but, but most assuredly people of color. And they've just been escalating and escalating, escalating. And I think it actually came to a head, you know, with the George Floyd case. Now there have been tons of cases that happened, you know, uh, even before the publicity that, you know, with that happened uh, to Mr. Floyd. But the fact of the matter is, is like, I think technology and again, like, that was captured on this, uh, I think this young woman's cell phone. That is what really brought all these statistics to light. Is the fact that back then, you know, even before this case, there wasn't the technology to go out there and live stream something um, to the internet you know, uh, with you know hundreds, if not millions, of viewers to see, hey, this is really happening. Before it was just some citizen's word against the police, and you know, the government, the legal system, all the time, they're going to take the side of the police because, as we mentioned last week. They're supposed to be held to a higher standard. There's, you're supposed to be able to trust their word. But the fact of the matter is, as more and more evidence of these cases come about, we're learning that, that the people that are supposed to serve and protect are only serving and protect their own interests, and they're only protecting their own people. No, without question. And we're going we're gonna to revisit that. Look, there's a, there is a behavior problem with police officers. So we're going we're gonna to play some clips regarding that. A gentleman 
arrested for taking out the trash out of his own house, but he's African-American. This is a culture, and this is how you build a culture. As we learned a week ago, target practice at a police department, I believe, was that St. Louis? It was in Michigan. It was in Detroit. It was in Michigan? Uh, well, they got, they got pictures of black African-Americans as target practice. Pictures up to say, okay, we need you to make sure you fire. And when we actually printed the pictures off, uh, where they were shot at was in the head. What is that? It calls for an outcry. We're going to deal with all of that. We're going to go back down memory lane, if you will, horrible memory lane, uh, regarding the um, behavior of officers that tend to bring these things to life. So we're going to deal with that. We're going to give you an opportunity to call in 646-200-0628-646-200-0628. Join us in the conversation. Have something to say. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I guarantee you won't be disappointed. You may be disappointed in what is happening, but this show will be very informative, informing you of exactly what's going on. We want to give our condolences before we go to break here uh, to the family of Ivanka Trump, uh, who passed away. Uh, we learned that today. Um, so our thoughts and prayers go out to her family uh, and, and all that are, and her family and friends and all those folks that are uh, uh, related to her. Um, dead at the age of 73. Uh, that's tough. Uh, other than that, ladies and gentlemen, we will be back uh, here after the break. Kicking off this show, man, what we're going to learn here is going to be troubling, but it's necessary. This is IJC Radio. We'll be right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now, add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with. Especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions by remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us for the children, for they truly are our future. I've said and done things before that I'm not proud of. Just as I've been hurt by others. The thing is, this, this is not who I am. And it's definitely not who I want to be. I don't want to be cruel. I don't want to spread gossip. I don't want to be a body shaver. I don't want to exclude anyone. I don't want to make anyone feel lonely 
left out, hurt. We have the power to be more. We can create a kinder world. It's not that hard. We just need to stop. Take a moment and consider others before we speak. And before we act, be more. Be more. Be more. Because I'm 16, I can't drive at night. Because I'm 16, I can't work past 10 o'clock on a school night. Because I'm 16, I can't get a cell phone contract without my parents. Because I'm 16, I can't get a flu shot without my mother's consent. At 16, I'm not old enough to watch an R-rated movie alone. Because I'm 16, I can't buy a lottery ticket. I can't vote. I can't drink. I can't smoke. I can't join the military. Because I'm 16, I can't sit on a jury, but I can be tried as an adult. I can get a lifetime criminal record. If I get arrested, my parents don't have to be notified. Because I'm 16, my mother had to sign this consent form so that I could participate in this video. But I can go to an adult prison. But I can go to Rikers Island. But I can be sent to Attica. My name is Michael Corriero. I was a judge for 28 years in the criminal courts of the state of New York. New York is one of only two states in the entire nation that it automatically tries children as young as 16 as adults. We need to change that. Last week, my father sent me to my room. Next week, a judge could sentence me to an adult prison. We need to judge children as children. It's time to raise the age of criminal responsibility in New York. I'm a mother. I'm a father. I'm a sister. A registered nurse. I serve my country in the United States military. I'm your neighbor. I sit next to you at church. And my child was arrested, held in custody, questioned without my knowledge, exposed to violence, witnessed to rape, placed in solitary confinement, unable to call or see me, shackled to a wall, beaten, sentenced as an adult at age 17, sentenced as an adult at age 16, sentenced as an adult at age 15. We felt lost, isolated, ostracized, misjudged, terrified. And in the absence of all hope, my child took his own life. And then I found the Alliance for Youth Justice. They gave me the support and resources to get through one of the most difficult times in my life. Now I know I'm not alone. And neither are you. Now we have a voice. Now we We have have power. power. In numbers. In numbers. In numbers. We we can make a There are approximately 2 million children in the juvenile and criminal justice system in this country. These are the faces of those families. If you were the family member of a child who has been in the justice system, or if you are someone who supports this movement and is ready to make a difference, visit the Campaign for Youth Justice at www.campaignforyouthjustice.org. Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi, everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot. But I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest girl I know because 
He tells all the amnesis and the fireings where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio. And tonight, as we get ready to review, if you will, the actions of officers, correctional officers, sheriff departments, local police departments, where, and I'll say this at the beginning of this show, that we are aware that all officers are not killers. We are aware that all officers don't agree with the actions of corrupt officers. And so let me say that. We thank you for your service out the gate uh, for those that honor the badge that they wear uh, on their chest. So uh, please know that. But we're we're forced to deal with issues and facts uh, regarding the killing and the violence that is coming from police departments, sheriff departments, every law enforcement agency uh, in this country. It is our job as advocates to address those issues. We're going to do just that. Um, feel free to call in again, 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. As I was explaining before the break, I'm going to get some folks to chime in on this, guys uh, and ladies. Uh, there seems to be a culture issue. If we're putting pictures of African-Americans as target practice, if we're making mistakes that uh, I think, Tanik, you just shared a story regarding a, a 49-year-old white man that was a warrant out for his arrest, but they ended up arresting a 23-year-old black man on that warrant. Correct. Explain that, please. So it was in the state of Nevada, and they said they pulled him over because he was driving without headlights, and he didn't have his driver's license, but he provided the police's name and his uh, social security number. And they said that uh, that they looked it up and they found this bench warrant. And they said they couldn't just go by him giving a social security number because he didn't have a card. He just rattled off a number. And they said for six days, he begged the judge to look at the information. And they said this man had two kids. He's not married. He's a single father. And his kids were wondering where their dad was for six oh. days. Somebody explain to me, number one, the social security number doesn't track crimes. That's your date of birth. Has nothing to do with your social. I don't know if people know that. So, so you knew when you looked up that social that it was a 23-year-old black man. Well, you knew number one, they don't use socials to do that. Number one, that they took it was absolutely an error Another. because the social security numbers is connected to people's credit, their financial history, whatever. But, but when you run that, that comes back with your name. And that's going to have your uh, information, just like when you do a background check. You look for your name, you look for your date of birth, and you look for your social. Well, what, but and I understand what you're saying. I'm saying what I know in the system, it's your date of birth connected to any criminal or warrant that may be issued. You're not going to find a warrant under a social. So if you said you have an active warrant and this guy is giving you information that contradicts that information, how does that – how do you let that go – and he, he spent how many days in jail? Six days. And they said the, he had a different middle name. There are different ages, different heights, and different races. You're a different race. 
Number one, I know a 49-year-old white man from a 23-year-old black man. But but what is my, that? But look at that to your your question. So they six days this warrant was allegedly out for the the white gentleman, and they kept a black gentleman. So did you look for that? That tells you right there. That answers a part of your question. They, not all, this particular department does not care about fighting crime. They just I got a black man locked up, and that's it. And furthermore, what what person who's trying to evade the law is going to give you their social security number anyway? If I gave you the social. I'm telling you, man, I'm not this guy. That's what they're saying. I would think that's what they would think. Oh, yeah. And, and the other thing is he was actually went to multiple facilities during those six days. Are what? you kidding me? And nobody figured out that this was wrong? This is We got the wrong guy here? So, so six days later, we say, oh, God, we got the 49-year-old white guy. Go ahead and let him loose. And then he said he was pleading with the cops. He was pleading when he went to the jail. He told everybody nobody would listen and say this is a mistake. And they see and when they brought, they said, uh, what should we charge him with? And they said, oh, it's a weapons charge. And that's when he said, I've never committed a felony. I don't even own a gun. This is not me. And they still would not. But because uh, you're black, you have to be not telling the truth. That's what I'm talking about as far as, as, far as the culture. And this culture has been in place prior to the death of George Floyd. So everybody expected some type of outcome. And then, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, and then I thought this was messed up because this is what the police said. Well, Shane Brown, the black Shane Brown, was driving an unregistered vehicle with a suspended driver's license and did have a warrant for contempt of court. So uh, even though the, uh, we regret that this was a misidentification, that the original charges were lawful. So basically, so why did they pay out ninety thousand dollars? Exactly, but they, this is what they always do when they do something wrong to a black male. Then they come like when the shooting. Oh well, uh, we believe he was selling drugs. They always try to come up with something bad well, they, to make it look like well, this is justification for our actions. Well, at the end of the day, you made an error here. There's a difference from being in contempt of court for failure to appear, an FTA, then. It was failure to pay. He owed on some tickets. I'm not surprised. I'm really not. Kendrick, you go. I mean, it's still not a reason to go to jail. So just not pay anything. But again, this is this is a culture. Exactly right. In the law enforcement and in our country, so cultures don't change that quick. Or there, there's some cultures that don't. Change. It's hard to change a culture, culture because that's an identity of a people. Yep. So as long as police officers think they're they're a separate entity inside of a country, it's going to be hard for us to change that culture of hey, you have to start treating people more as equal citizens, not as we're overseeing to make sure uh, you know you're doing everything that we're saying that you're supposed to. Do. So the question is, what what do we have protests for if culture is impossible to penetrate? Which I I agree with you because it continues. If if culture could change. The death of George Floyd would have changed culture. If, if if you have any poster child for a culture change, it would have changed then based upon the outcry of what happened to the Yeah, man. but I, I think, too, they should have, it should have been a more unified message on what needs to change. Because when you do make statements to say defund the police, that kind of shocks people. What they're really trying to say is let's change how we look at policing. That message kind of got lost or got hijacked 
when they put that title on it, you know, defund the police. They're not saying, they're not saying, get, you know, because some people are saying, you want to get rid of police. No, that's not what they're saying. What they were saying was, let's take some of these resources, like, for instance, if you're going to go, there's a mental health issue. Why are we calling the police to do mental health? They're not mental health professionals. But in George Floyd's case, if we'd have thought more about, you know what, we need to change the culture of policing so that you don't need to have armed police officers come to get a guy for $20? That should have been like a citation? Well, here's the difference. Here's the problem with that. Is that at the end of the day, you have to, you heard the cry from both sides. The people that are saying defund the police, you know why they're saying that? They're tired. Go to the core of the problem. The core is, what are we paying law enforcement for if they become a killing mafia machine to African Americans? Defund them then. Now, I don't agree with the with the actual defunding of police. But what you're hearing from people when they're saying that, you're hearing the frustration. This man died on national worldwide television and was murdered in front of the world by a cop who, with his own arrogance, Derek Chauvin pressed his knee into the neck of Mr. Floyd as he begged for his life. That's worse than anything you're going to see on the movie. This is reality. So what you have, I agree with you with that, that defund the police. People are like, oh, wait, they say get rid of the cops. Wait a minute. If people would stop and listen to the cry of the, of the protesters, they don't know any better. They just know this black man just died on, that, on TV and a cop killed him for no reason. As he begged for his life and called for his mama. That's all that's going to be stuck with me as a, as a citizen. I may not have the proper terminology, but what you know is, is that what you did was wrong. And, the, and then when you have habitual behavior of officers of doing this and killing people, Brianna Taylor, we're going to hear about her here shortly. You walk in and kill her boyfriend. Did the boyfriend die? You kill him dead. You leave her on the floor. Brianna Taylor, as she's. No, as, no, no. He got arrested, remember? He, he didn't shot, die. He didn't die. He shot at the police because they didn't they didn't, they didn't identify they, who they were. Right, right. That's what but I he mean. Did, he did get arrested. She he got a, he got arrested, but she died. Uh, and all they were trying to do was say, "Man, somebody's coming in my house in the middle of the night. You're kicking my door, man. I, that could be a cop or an intruder. I don't know. So what? What was the gentleman supposed to do? He has a right to protect himself, and his right to protect Brianna Taylor. He had a right to do that." But the bad part is, after she died, they gave her mother the runaround. Would not even tell her where the body was or what had happened or what it. She heard. You got a mother on the end of the phone hearing gunshots. Is that correct? Because I think they she tried to dial the mother immediately when they when this altercation took place. So she's we we actually interviewed Miss uh, Miss Taylor. So you got a mother saying, "What's going on? What's happening here?" And you still give her the runaround about your daughter or whoever this young lady has been killed? That kind of goes back to the culture. They don't care. Now, and it's showing true with African-American people. Not only did you give her the runaround, you sent her looking for her daughter's body, and the police officers knew that the body was laying right in front of her. They knew it. They knew it. Go ahead, Samson. No, and the thing is, like, that goes back to all this, is, like, even after what happened with Miss Taylor... All they did, they got rid of no-knock warrants, and that's that's pretty much it. But, I mean, how can you encourage a populace when all they see is, you know, the police getting more and more empowered? 
they all they see police are getting military grade vehicles to go roaming around. We're not talking about SWAT. We're talking about normal police. They're getting up armored vehicles to roll through neighborhoods. They're getting all kinds of things. Which if they were doing their job and treating the population the way they should be treating the population, you wouldn't need all that armor. You wouldn't need all that firepower or anything like that. If you treat the citizens like a citizen, like a human being, you wouldn't even have to unholster your gun. Talk to them. That gentleman we were talking about that came back, that um, the cop that dropped him off at his house turned around and shot him dead on his front lawn because he thought the phone was a gun. So here's the question for that officer. We'll get to that later. You just picked this young man up with no weapons on him. And he needed a ride to his house. You drove him and gave him a cordial goodbye. You then circle around and come back and kill the same man you was the Good Samaritan to. Can somebody give me an answer on that one? It doesn't make on, any sense. He was on the phone with 911 when the cop shot him. And 911 was telling him, put your hands up as he comes close. And as soon as he moved his hands and they saw the phone, they shot him. Culture. This is a culture issue. I want to play a little bit about Brianna Taylor. Um, I'm going to hear that clip now. We'll discuss it. Just give you a little backdrop onto Miss Taylor and the tragic loss of life there. Play the clip. Dancing with friends. Girl, let me wipe your eyes. Everything gonna be alright. Singing her favorite song, buying her dream car. She loved life. She loved to be around friends and family. She just, she had it figured out. This is Brianna Taylor. Etched in her family's memory. She was the closest thing to me. She was like my sister, my best friend, my cousin, all in one. 26 and full of life. A dedicated EMT with dreams of becoming a nurse. A helper, always there to lend a hand. Say her name! Now, her name on the lips of so many protesters, continuing across the country, seeking justice and police reform, pushing towards a national reckoning on race. Does it make you proud knowing that Brianna is helping literally change the world right now? I knew she was destined for greatness. I hate she had to go through this to prove it. What do you think it will take for you to be able to grieve properly? To know that these officers are going to be charged with a crime to be held accountable for their actions. What is the crime you think they're guilty of? Murder. On March 13th, as Brianna and her boyfriend, Kenny Walker, lay asleep in their bed, plainclothes police officers broke down their door using a battering ram on a no-knock drug warrant. Kenny, thinking intruders were violently breaking in, grabbed his licensed gun and fired a single shot, hitting one officer in the leg. The police returned fire with 20 bullets, eight striking Brianna, killing her. 911 operator Harris, where is your emergency? I don't, I don't know what's happening. Somebody kicked in the door inside my girlfriend. Oh my God. Secondly, where she's been shot at? I can't get on her stomach. Is she alive? Able to talk to you? No, 
police say they were looking for drugs, but none were found at the apartment. The drug dealer they were investigating had already been arrested earlier that day. Kenny was initially arrested and charged with attempted murder. His case has since been dropped. But nearly three months later, the officers are still on the job. No charges filed. Police say they only fired after Kenny first fired upon them. If no-knock warrants were exercised against people living in Beverly Hills or Bel Air with the same frequency that they are exercised against Black people who live in Black neighborhoods, we would have far more constraints on police officers' ability to do that. Kimberly Crenshaw is a law professor at Columbia University and UCLA. If you are exercising your Second Amendment right to protect your home, you will shoot back. And when you shoot back, that becomes a justification for the police officers to completely take your home out. After Brianna was killed, Tamika spent hours searching for her, grasping for answers, when she finally spoke to an officer at the scene. He asked if Brianna or Kenny, if I knew if they had any enemies or anybody that would want to hurt them. And of course, no, absolutely not, I say. And he asked if anything had been going on with Brianna and Kenny, I asked, uh, are you insinuating that Kenny did this? Because he would never. And they're asking questions without letting you know that it was a police officer who had shot your daughter. Exactly. They could have told her what happened to Brianna, but they were in self-protection mode. And if we can get that good story together, we can muddy the waters enough so that there aren't going to be significant demands for uh, an investigation. These are the kind of procedures that tell us that the police have too much power and control to determine the aftermath. In a failed effort of transparency, the Louisville Metro Police Department released the incident report yesterday with virtually no details, listing Brianna's injuries as none. Brianna Taylor's case is more representative of where we are as a country than the George Floyds. Lee Merritt represents Brianna's family. More often than not, it happens like it happened to Brianna Taylor, where she's brutalized and killed and then criminalized. Her boyfriend goes to jail. The men who are responsible for her death are not fired or arrested. The Louisville Metro Council is considering legislation to limit the use of no-knock warrants, but the practice remains in place. I think it's insane. Why would you want to enter into a home in the middle of the night without announcing yourself? Because had they done that, Brianna would have definitely let them in. What do you miss the most about your daughter? Her smile. You have a vivid smile. Hers must have been dazzling. Yeah. That dazzling smile now plastered around the country, but her case was largely overlooked for two months until the release of Kenny's 911 call amidst protest over George Floyd's death. In the beginning, it was just me and my family saying her name. Say her name! Brianna Taylor! Say her name! Brianna Taylor! If we say the names of black women who were killed by the police, we expand our understanding of all of the circumstances under which Black lives are put at risk. Crenshaw started the Say Her Name campaign to raise awareness of Black women who were killed by police. We think it's men. We think it happens uh, in public space when there's an encounter, and then it escalates into a homicide. When the facts don't fit the frames, people forget the facts. Do you know what happened to Breonna Taylor? But today, celebrities from Cardi B, 
Do you know Brianna Taylor's story, her whole story? To Ali Wong and Kerry Washington saying her name. She motivated me. She supported me. She made me who I am today. Back in Louisville, Priyana Flakes hopes her cousin Brianna's legacy transforms the world into a safer place for her son. He's six, but he's starting to understand. He's starting to realize. What? We need to let the world know that we as black people are tired. We are tired. Since losing her daughter, Tamika Palmer has been fighting for what's now known as Brianna's Law, the ban of no-knock warrants that allow officers to forcibly enter homes. No family should ever have to go through this. Respect black women! Respect black women! It's bigger than Brianna now to just have all these different people, these different walks of life come together and want the same thing. It's amazing. Well, there you have it. Unbelievable. Here's what is so, is why the trust of officers and law enforcement has gone away. You have the officers who, knowing with full knowledge that the police went into that house and shot and killed Breonna Taylor. When they interviewed the mother, they asked her, who do you know that may have wanted to do this to your daughter? That's total deception. You already know it. No, it has nothing to do with enemies other than yourself. If things were above board and factual as they should be, the police officers would have owned the fact we went in with a no-knock warrant and took the life of your daughter. Why am I asking you what enemies did Brianna Taylor have that, or who would have done this to her? But you want us to believe and trust law enforcement? And then you put on the incident report, no injuries. How do you submit that to your superiors? Eight bullets, eight, went into the body of Breonna Taylor. Fatal shots. But you report no injuries on the incident? But we're supposed to believe in you. We're supposed to trust that the officers and law enforcement will do the right thing by us. I got news for you, big time. It's not going to happen. And these things continue, continue, and continue. The gentleman said, why would you have any type of ordinance or law that you can do a no-knock warrant into a place when you're dealing with human beings that make mistakes? There was no communication between the officer that arrested the actual person they were looking for. Nobody took the time to say, hey, man, we already got that handled. That's closed out. But you still said oh, that's a, a it, what do you call it, an inept law enforcement police department, period. Because that stuff should be like clockwork. None of it was done. And the fact that I don't even know if the federal government took the time to say, you know what, we're at the Department of Justice, we need to look into this, but you have corruption at the DOJ. So we need one corrupt entity to investigate another corrupt entity. It is what it is. 
People may not want to deal with that. It's reality. Where's the Where's DOJ? They have the power to go in and do an investigation like they did in Ferguson. They went to Ferguson. I believe that was the death of Michael Brown. Went to Ferguson and deemed the, the, the law enforcement police department as inept. Practicing horrible practices. They did all of that. Where are they now? Where are they now? Well, the, the Justice Department, I was just looking up an article uh, about that from April of last year. It says uh, that the Justice Department had just announced. So April, more than a year later, the Justice Department announced they were going to go investigate the Louisville Police Department. And it was going to and they were going to, you know, look into uh, also the local county government. But the fact of the matter is that makes all it politics. Even, it's all politics. And the thing that makes it even more disgusting of the three officers that shot in there, nobody was charged with her anything associated with her death. The only guy that was charged was charged with uh, wanton endangerment of the neighbors. Correct. That that's what kind of what kind of justice is that that you can sit there and blindly fire three officers from three different angles firing into in a, an apartment and two of them walk off scot free and one gets a slap on the wrist. Here's the problem, William. Go ahead. No, I, I was, I'm I'm listening to the conversation here. And the thing that we you have to realize is that that case that situation could not be the only one that's happened in, in this country. Right. We're we're a country that we just had we did a couple weeks ago. We were talking about gun violence. We are a country that does believe in this right to bear arms. So you have to realize, and even law enforcement has had to realize somewhere in their training, somewhere in their doctrine, that if you issue a no knock warrant, you rush up into somebody's house. The same as a homeowner could be perceived as as a home invasion. There's Thanks a likelihood you run Thanks into fire. Now, in this situation, when you sit there and look at this, they ran into the house. The person of, of, that they were attempting to issue the warrant was not even there, not even associated with the house. He was arrested, I believe, in at another location. I think that's what, what the uh, so how the story goes. But either way, he wasn't at that residence. She actually is fired on. Twenty shots were fired. She uh, she was wounded eight times, died on the scene. And to Samson's point. So neither one of the people that were in the residence were involved in the on the warrant. But to Samson's point, the officer that got charged was in of endangerment to the adjacent apartment, to the people in the adjacent apartment. So why was he not charged with endangerment to the people in the apartment that were not on the warrant? I mean, you think about that logic. They were they were they had no parts of this. But William, look what you just said. The people that the cops uh, endangered were yeah. the African American. Let's ask basic question. Yeah. So we're we're not concerned about Breonna Taylor. That's dead. We killed her. Yeah. But we're more concerned about people we could have or we might have, have injured. Yeah. That's what they were charged. Yeah. So that tells you back to the. Where, what does a, a African American man or woman? What does their life mean? Value and, and the same, the same thing. So, so even even as we kicked off the show, I was one of the things that's always staggered me about George Floyd's case. This was a staggering thing. It happened in Minnesota. When you look at it, he was charged. Derek Chauvin was charged and convicted of second degree murder. Geronimo Yanez, who shot Philando Castillo, was charged with the same charge 
He got off. He shot that man. He, I think he had uh, reckless endangerment of the, of the passengers and the girl, uh, something regarding the discharge. But the only difference between those two cases, it was in the same, same geographic area, was the video. That was really it. Chauvin, Chauvin got convicted of second-degree murder. Yanez did not get convicted of second-degree murder, and, and the, his, his wife, our fiancé, was streaming it right beside him. So well, you look at those two cases. It's just the video. That's the difference. Well, the difference in George Floyd's case, had there not been video footage. That's exactly right. We would have never known that George Floyd died that way. That's exactly right. And, and polit- the reason political, politically, he was charged with the death of George Floyd for political motives. That's exactly right. And you and look at look at Philando Castillo in the video, the audio said, "I am I have a right to carry my firearm." He wasn't going for the firearm. It was Philando Castillo who was right, shot in the right. car. Well, the wallet was in his glove box. Yes, he asked but, for the license. But this police officer leaves. He 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 gets off. He was charged with second-degree murder, gets off. And you think about that. You think about the fact that no black lives, do they matter? Does it matter anymore? We already know that it does not. The facts are what they are. It's true. The fact that Breonna Taylor's boyfriend had a license, that means nothing anymore. No, it doesn't. So... The people, well, man, if I got a license to carry, I end up with, with bullets. I, I get a clip emptied in me with a license, with a permit to carry. It doesn't matter. And, 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 and the thing that really gets me about that, neither one of them were involved on the war. Were, it, were involved in the war itself as far as the persons of interest that they were there to serve the war on. No. David? Yeah, I think the process is... Uh... Some more fundamental. They give almost in a class-like system. They give police are in a different class, and they're always given the benefit of the doubt that they wouldn't do something bad. And and they start from that base and that foundation that well, these are police officers. They're out there trying to protect the public. They wouldn't do anything bad unless they uh, actually perceived uh, something wrong. But when you put it on the average citizen then they don't get that benefit of the doubt. You're just an average guy. You don't wear, you don't carry a gun, wear a badge, and, and don the uniform. So you're you're given the uh, a more cynical look that you would do something wrong. And everybody, everybody, everybody's human. So the laws are made, built to deliver broad discretion to police officers, and that that's across the board. They give broad discretion in the prison. They give broad discretion in with police officers to make decisions. So as long as Congress and legislatures, state legislatures, continue to uh, create laws that really benefit police and not the citizen, these things are going to continue uh, continue to happen. And uh, so. Everybody looks at the lens. Police officers, they're here to protect and serve. They're, uh, these are good people. They're a police officer. They're automatically a good person because they're a police officer. Police officer good, black citizen bad, and, and 
everything starts being viewed through that lens every time one of these incidents uh, one of these incidents happens. No, I agree with that. Dennis, your thoughts? Yes, I was thinking too as I was uh, looking over some different articles on you know how police officers are, and, and again, we're not here to bash all police officers, but it's always this, this culture, like you were talking about, Lamont, in which, you know, whenever something happens where a death of a, a individual takes place, automatically they they start to vilify that individual if he's black, as he, if he's black. Yeah, they try to make it look as though we're justified, even though yeah we made a mistake, but look what this this guy did he deserves to die almost and that's sad to say but it looks like that's what the police department they always do they we're going to vilify you and then we're going to show the community that hey yeah we might have made a mistake but look at this guy he's a he's a he's a thief he's a murderer or whatever but it boils down to the fact that they have to look good that's it. exactly we have to look good no matter what we have to protect our image well at, I, at almost any cost and then the well, narrative i'm sorry and, and then if you think about, you know, what we were just talking about with Brianna, you know, how they were asking questions, what they was what they were doing was they was putting together their story. That's exactly what they were doing. We got to put this story together so that we don't look like we actually went in a house and killed an innocent it didn't, one. Didn't work for them. But you have the Stanford student who rapes a woman in the back of an alley near a trash dump. You know what the judge said to him? He has a good future ahead of him. Why? Because he attends Stanford? Wow. He raped and violated a woman. I promise you, had that suspect been an African-American man on the street near a dumpster, and you raped a white girl? Ryan Banks? I got that, but in this case, he'd be under the jail right now. There's no, the judge is not going to come and say this guy has a future. But if you answer it honestly, the culture says, "All right, this is a nobody. He's a no good thug." That's the words that be used on the black man, but the white man is no—he's worse than a thug because he took the—he violated this woman. My question to that, we all get outraged about women being raped, violated, abused. Where was the outrage? There was not much to it. But change the races, and you have a catastrophe. Oh, my goodness, this is horrible. People are upset. They've written the president. They've done this. Not for Stanford. Student. Swimmer. But a swimmer. Yeah, we I mean we did the show and and we compared Brock Turner, the Stanford swimmer, to Brian Banks. Brian Banks was a young African American kid, had an up and coming future. He was being um courted by several division one uh, football programs. Absolutely. He served, I believe, as close to six years. Yeah. Over a lie. He did not rape the girl. The girl later came back and he caught a I think he got her on audio saying that she well, lied. She admitted that she, she lied. Admitted about she it. lied. He did six years in prison. It cost him his future as far as NFL, almost six years. How many months did the gentleman, excuse me, hold on, I used that word loosely. No, he was sentenced to six months. And I think he did three. He did three. He did three. That's a shame. That is. 
so and he did it. And Brian Banks never. Not, Brian well, Banks did not do anything. Well, Brian Banks is not a, in their view, he's black. He has no future. He's inferior. He's just another black guy that really ain't going to accomplish nothing in this world. But this is a, this is a upstanding, God-fearing American white man. Rapist. Rapist. Yeah. Now, it, something must have went wrong with this, this boy here. Uh, he, uh, uh, he has a bright future ahead of him. Uh, we don't want to do nothing. He has a good family. Uh, all the, for the black man, automatically, you don't have a good family. You don't uh, have a good family. Uh, he has no future. He's he's just some uh, black dude who crawled away underneath the ghetto rock, and therefore uh, he's he's only moving forward on his straight athletic talent. Uh, he really doesn't have a brain. He's going to college straight because they're just going to push him through because uh, because of his athletic ability, and that's the way they're viewed. Exactly right, Clint. Yeah, I, you know, you don't get what you can't measure. You look at these police departments, and I'm referring to the police scorecard, the Commission on Accreditation for Law Enforcement Agencies. You know, what What are we – there's a lot of assumptions going on. What are we – we are assuming that they're being measured somehow for performance, for behavior, for conduct, for procedures being followed. But, you know, if we're not, if we're not uh, requiring – these agencies to be measured on some kind of scale, you know, given a grade or a score as to, okay, if you had a, if you had a shooting, okay, did it get investigated? How was that handled? Et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, Minneapolis uh, police department, for example, with George Floyd, is that an accredited police department by the commission on accreditation uh, in the United States? Okay. Um, The rest of these police departments, Louisville, or Breonna Taylor. Is that an accredited police department? Here's, here's well, the difference. Here's the difference with culture. None of that matters. It just doesn't matter. But what, what, you, go ahead, David. Well, what that says is, well, if he has a degree, uh, he won't do nothing. Big, all that stuff. It's almost. It's uh, the accreditation is almost like, well, he passed some sort of certification test, so he's a good person. Right. Or or, or they're not capable of this because they're, they're accredited. Well, that. It really, at the end of the day, can't accreditation can't stop okay. and control human behavior. Well, what it can do is justify funding. So if you lose your accreditation because of your behavior, because of your lack of enforcing procedures and so forth, now you impact your funding. And until you get that accreditation, those scores back up. Well, you don't, you well, don't get your funding. So, it, well, so, so it tries to show some sort of. Uh, Try to depoliticize, if you will, or or or, or it's, uh, in, introduce some kind of fairness as well. You lost your accreditation because of these shootings. Well, now, who are the people accrediting? Yeah. Yeah. Who's, 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 police investigate police. Law enforcement investigates law enforcement. There's never really an independent body. They say the DOJ is no. coming in. The DOJ they investigate themselves. You don't see nobody can well. Bring in a local police department to investigate the DOJ and see if their procedures were correct. It's always this self-policing mechanism that's in place, almost this self-policing accreditation. Right. And like they had in prison. Yeah, many yeah, many times these are crony organizations. Well, unless you up, get unless you get the citizenry to measure what you're doing, it's not uh, going to happen. I can tell you that right now. That's not going to happen. Because they'll take, here's the problem, 
Everything is political. Let me just put this nice bronze certification at our website. This this police department follows procedures. They've received awards. They are killers. Right. At the end of the day, I don't care what positive stuff they may have posted, what kind of accreditation they have. That's 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 uh, mouth speak. Right. That's all that is. Well, and we 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 saw that in prison. Right. So. Yeah. The guys come down for a boondoggle. The, the certifying organization comes down for a nice boondoggle. And as soon as they know the certification is coming, uh, they just turn up uh, uh, the slave meter on, on the inmates, right. have them cleaning, doing this, doing that. And they always claim that the inmates get to talk to the cert- to the people. That's, that's it, not going to happen. It never happens. That's, that's so, they actually tell you don't talk to them. They yeah, tell they'll tell you don't talk to them. And, and here was anybody. Crazy. The food is horrible in state and federal prisons. It's a, it is absolutely horrific. But if they're coming through for certification, I'm going to tell you right now, you've never smelled food so good in an in a, in a inmate prison cafeteria. I promise you. And they got the eggs on the plate, fluffy, toast, cold juice. I can promise you. <laughs> I can promise you. And as soon as they leave, it goes back to It goes to right back to the trash. And that's, that's how it works. And the thing is, even if they fail their accreditation, they're not shutting down the prison. They're not going to shut so it down. It's just it's a waste of money. It's political. To say we came through here because the state has guidelines means absolutely nothing. But what they won't do, they won't pop up for an accreditation where the prison is not aware. I promise you if they pop up, they're in trouble. Get in big trouble. It boils down to what you're seeing, yep. and the public seeing is a front. And a, lo- a lot of this stuff is just a front. Now, the, the public don't really know. They don't. Or do they really care? This is just a front. Or just like you say, uh, somebody, uh, well, they were under oath. People lie under oath all the time. Consistently. But, Consistently. But, but look at Brianna Taylor. She, she gets killed, and they turn this into a no-knock warrant issue. No, this is th- this is a larger police brutality issue. Thank you. You don't come in guns a blazing. Right. No, the no knock is just one symptom of the larger problem. But oh, let's get legislation. Look like we did something. Oh, we stopped no knock. Exactly. You're still going to get cops killing people on the street. Yes, you are. Whether you kill them in an apartment, a house, a sleeping bag, you're going to continue to kill African Americans. William, coming back on the other side of the break for you, ladies and gentlemen. I welcome you to dial into this show, 646-200-0628, 646-200-0628. The masking of law enforcement, the false narrative, if you will, of officers that care, and I believe some do, but tonight, AJC Radio deals with those that do not. This is AJC Radio visiting police brutality and abuse after and before the death of George Floyd. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. We know you care. Now it's time. Time to change the face of justice. Did you know that minority and youth participation in juries is extremely low to non-existent? The incidence of youth and minority offenders facing trials have exploded. Youth and minorities are not being represented as they should be. We must represent for people to get fair trials. If you acquire a state ID or driver's license, it allows you to register to vote. And it allows you to become eligible for jury service. If you're 18 
a U.S. citizen with a state ID or driver's license, and registered to vote, you're eligible to be called for jury duty. If called and selected, make it your duty to serve. We can't get justice without you. Change. 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 Change the face of justice. Check your local county or state jury service website for further details. Odds of becoming an astronaut, 1 in 13,200,000. Odds of being struck by lightning, 1 in 576,000. Odds of dating a supermodel, 1 in 88,000. Odds of bowling a perfect game, 1 in 11,500. Odds of being trapped in an elevator, 1 in 24,528. Odds of catching a ball at a major league game, 1 in 563. Odds of an injury from shaving, 1 in 6,585. Odds of tripping while texting, 1 in 10. Odds of getting cancer in your lifetime, 1 in 2 men, 1 in 3 women. It's up to us to change the odds for our generation. For the ones we love. For our future. If you don't like the odds, stand up. Stand up to cancer. We have a big problem, and we need your help. It's happening on college campuses, at bars, at parties, even in high schools. It's happening to our sisters and our daughters. Our wives and our friends. It's called sexual assault, and it has to stop. We have to stop it. So listen up. If she doesn't consent, or if she can't consent, it's rape, it's assault. It's a crime. It's wrong. If I saw it happening and I was taught, you have to do something about it. If I saw it happening, I'd speak up. If I saw it happening, I'd never blame her. I'd help her. Because I don't want to be a part of the problem. I want to be a part of the solution. We need all of you to be part of the solution. This is about respect. It's about responsibility. It's up to all of us to put an end to sexual assault. And that starts with you. Because one is too many. Meeting a teen girl online is actually pretty easy. You can go into any chat room and just start talking. Most of the girls are usually so insecure and desperate for attention. Attention from older guys is totally flattering. They're so much more mature and understanding than the guys might. Age actually works to my advantage. They like to brag to their friends that they're dating an older guy, so I just play along and pretend I'm really interested. He's interested in the same things I am. You can talk forever and really get to know someone without worrying about looks or whatever. That's the best thing about chatting. Chatting seems unthreatening to them, so they lower their guard. After a while, I start talking about how we're soulmates and how lucky we are to have found each other. Other people don't understand. I know what I'm doing. If you really care about each other, there's nothing wrong with me. Meeting them is the goal. Once I get them out of their house, well, that's when things get really interesting. Online predators know what they're doing. Say goodbye to affordability and say hello to losing control. Discover Price Gougesol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills. Because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one, Side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, 
children who don't get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out-of-control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the ten biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. I wish I was in school. If only I had a math test today. Or a book report to give. I wish I was in school. I'll stay after class. I'll clean the chalkboard. I'll do extra homework. I'll skip recess. I wish I was in school. I wish I was in school. I really wish I was in school. School ends, but free lunches for your kids don't have to. Find your local food bank at feedingamerica.org slash summer meals for help. Together, we're Feeding America. You must have thrown a thousand pitches teaching him to hit a home run. Spent countless Saturdays running routes so he could learn to hit an open receiver. Endless afternoons teaching him how to hit the three-pointer. But how much time have you spent teaching him? Teaching boys that all violence against women is wrong is one of the most important things a man can do. Learn how to start the conversation at teachearly.org. Brought to you by Futures Without Violence and the Ad Council. You can tell a lot about someone by what they spend their money on, their priorities, their concerns, and their motives. Big Pharma says their top priority is research and development. They say that prescription drug costs are so high because they spend so much on research. But the simple truth is nine out of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend 50% more on advertising than they do on research and development. It's true. Tens of billions more. The more they spend, the clearer it becomes. Big pharma's priorities are more ads, more sales, and higher costs to you. It's time for Big Pharma to get their priorities straight. Americans deserve open and honest prescription drug pricing. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. You're on your way to meet up with friends, but you can't seem to get anywhere quickly. You don't want your friends to be annoyed, so you text. You're on your way. Five seconds is the average time your eyes are off the road while texting while driving. Make sure you get where you're going.
Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we continue down this journey, if you will. Where were we before the death of George Floyd? Where are we now after his death? Two years to the date in May. And we have found alarming situations. What we have uncovered tonight, which is self-explanatory, that the culture of law enforcement in this nation is broken. And it's broken horribly bad. Kenrick made the point earlier in the show that culture is something that is next to impossible to change. This is why the attitudes of some officers, not all, is how many African-American people can we kill? Can we abuse? Can we assault? How many African-Americans are scared to roll down a window simply for a traffic stop. We have seen over the past several years people dying for a traffic stop that does not even reach the level of a misdemeanor. It's simply a citation, and people have died. We're going to play a clip right now on the soldier... James Brown, we talked about a week ago, what happened to him in custody, a tragedy. This is a person who gave himself in the military, gave himself to defend this country, but the problem that he didn't know existed in the culture is that he was black. Let's play the clip. This is Dabu7 sharing with you footage, newly released footage here of the dying moments of an active duty soldier who checked himself into an El Paso jail a few years ago for a DUI. He was supposed to serve two days. As you guys can see in this footage, he was pulverized. By these police, and after yelling 20 times, he could not breathe. This is the end result. He lay unresponsive, eyes not moving. And they wrote this up as he died. Look how they treat him. They wrote this up as he died from sickle cell or something like that. The family outraged, saying he died because of his care and their hands. So Sergeant James Brown, rest in peace, brother. The family absolutely appalled. And you can see him gasping for air there, and they cover his face. That is one of the worst parts about it. But once again, without this footage, this would be swept under the rug. Nothing would be done about it. And this just goes to show this man was alive. He was not fighting them. And he ends up dead. What's so unusual about it is when a 26-year-old active military person checks into jail for a court-imposed sentence on a Friday and he leaves Sunday, you know, in a casket, something went horribly wrong there. Sergeant James Brown, decorated Iraq combat soldier, dedicated father, son, husband, dead after a day in the El Paso County Jail. The court said check-in Friday, 8 p.m., 
you'll be released um, Sunday evening. I don't have all the details as to what happened with the paperwork. All I know is he said they're trying to make me stay seven days instead of two days. So I just want to pay the court fine and, and get out of here. Saturday morning, Brown's single mother sent her only child the money he needed by 8.30 a.m. And then? They said he was combative and they gave him some medication and uh, he started having problems breathing. They administered the injection at 12.15 within 45 minutes. My son's body was shutting down. His body completely shut down. He was bleeding out the ears, the nose, the mouth. His kidneys shut down. His blood pressure dropped to a very dangerous level, uh, and his liver shut down. So whatever they gave him poisoned his body. It poisoned the system, and that's not something that an anti-anxiety drug is going to do to you. His wife and mother say they never knew Brown to be combative. And this is a kid that in the third grade, he knew he was going to be in the military. After two tours in Iraq, Brown was prescribed sleeping meds, but family says he didn't take them and led a healthy life. I guess when they took him to the hospital, they tested him for narcotics and alcohol, and it was all negative. There were no narcotics or alcohol in his system. I mean, he served two combat tours in Iraq, and he comes home for this? I want to know, I want to know why. I want to know what happened. He's never been a combative person, um, and whatever they gave him to control his anxiety or whatever uh, killed him. The video of Fort Bliss Sergeant James Brown's death in the El Paso County Jail is going worldwide. Good evening. I'm Erica Castillo. And I'm John Purvis. First on Fox tonight, one week ago, we showed you the jailhouse video of Sergeant Brown's final hours. And the story has now moved far beyond the borderland. News outlets and websites around the world are picking up the story. The Washington Times and the Huffington Post here in the U.S. have been joined by the Daily Mail in Britain and other international websites in telling his story. Hundreds of people around the world have commented on the video as well. And tonight, a former El Paso County Jail Corrections officer speaks up to say Sergeant Brown's death did not have to happen. Erica continues her coverage of this story that you'll see only on KFOX. Fort Bliss is one of the largest military installations in the country. There are about 30,000 active duty soldiers stationed here at any given time. So you may be surprised that when active duty soldiers get in trouble in the civilian world and end up in the El Paso County Jail, there is no one there from the military to check on them. A former corrections officer at El Paso County's jail who has asked for anonymity tells us why he believes that can have deadly consequences. Sergeant James Brown self-reported to the El Paso County Jail for a weekend DWI sentence in July 2012. Documents show Sergeant Brown informed the jail upon arrival that he was diagnosed with PTSD. He was a decorated two-time combat veteran in Iraq. Initially, Sergeant Brown was placed in the general population, and it appears he was not coping well. We traveled to Lubbock to interview a then-inmate who on that day in July 2012, we verified, was in the El Paso County jail cell with James Brown. He claims the inmates were all growing frustrated before Brown was removed. They really weren't feeding you. You know, I think they gave us one sandwich for the whole day, a sandwich and a carton of milk. So some guys were pretty, you know, heated. That guy, James Brown, 
he was there. He was actually about to get Zeke pushed the door, but it was already locked, so he couldn't open it. He pushed the door and he cussed, and he, you know, he, I don't want to say the words that he said, but he cussed at him, and he turned around and walked to the back and just kicked back against the wall. Well, they came in like three, I think it was three or four of them that opened the door and they came in and they grabbed him. At that time, Brown was placed in a cell by himself. He threw wads of wet toilet paper at the door, somehow caused himself to bleed, and then refused to speak. As far as inmates with PTSD and, and problems of that sort, they're just regular inmates. A former corrections officer at the El Paso County Jail tells KFOX 14 soldiers are never separated from the general population, even when the jail has knowledge they are diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. The protocol is the same. Um, when I was still in the department, um, everything was the same. Inmates were inmates, and whether they were uh, in the military or the only exception was for some law enforcement where they can't be where other inmates are at. After viewing the entire raw video of Sergeant Brown's encounter, he believes Brown being in the general population was not where the issue began. It was here. To have told the inmate that we were going to send somebody in there, when the inmate was in reality already calm, he was resting or sleeping, I couldn't see him, what he was doing, but he wasn't yelling or kicking the door. It wasn't until he was threatened with, with violence to give, give himself up that he reacted. What followed was the extraction team storming his cell and Brown immediately stating he was struggling to breathe. Eventually, his limp body was hoisted up and carried to the infirmary, where Brown was sedated twice by injection and begged for water before collapsing and becoming unresponsive. Shockingly, all pretty standard procedure, according to our source, except for one thing. The reaction of the supervisors on scene should have prompted them to take over the situation and call 911. He just stayed in the same position where they left him, and that's that's a big red flag. Sadly, though, our source says he is not surprised. He says there is no training at the jail for corrections officers or the extraction team on how to deal with soldiers, much less soldiers diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. He claims they barely get any training of any sort at all. They don't get to practice as much. They practice maybe once a week, two, twice, if they're lucky. Um, and they have to do it, you know, after, after the shift. He also says there is no psychiatrist and no official military presence at the jail in the event an active duty soldier is incarcerated, something he believes in this case could have made a difference. In the event that they do have somebody there, it would have to be somebody with uh, rank of an officer to be able to control whoever it is that's there. That would uh, create less problems. Fort Bliss, however, disagrees with that assessment. Lieutenant Colonel Lee Peters, who speaks on behalf of Fort Bliss, says that the post does not assign a military liaison to the jail because the percentage of soldiers arrested in El Paso comprises only 1% of the entire number of people arrested in El Paso County each year. Instead, Fort Bliss relies on the El Paso County Jail to inform the post when a detained soldier has been arrested and booked solely for the purpose of reporting procedures. It is unknown if James Brown ever told anyone when he arrived at the jail that he was an active duty soldier. However, it is documented in jail records he informed them of his post-traumatic stress.
It's no secret military personnel with post-traumatic stress often experience a host of phobias and at times can react to those situations violently. Besides potential psychological triggers, there may be other issues at stake when a soldier is incarcerated in a civilian jail, given soldiers are considered property of the U.S. federal government. Fort Bliss, however, says it's a matter of jurisdiction. But this former jail guard, who worked for years on the extraction team, says it is a unique problem to cities with military installations that local jails need to address. That hasn't happened yet, and I wish it would be in a uh, combat disabled veteran myself. I can relate to, to Mr. Brown's uh, problem. So that's why I, I decided to vent what I feel. And I think that if the Army personnel or any military personnel comes in and they claim to PT, have PTSD, they should be uh, afforded the opportunity to, to stay separate from everybody because just like law enforcement, you know, they 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 serve the community and serve the country, and as such, they should be treated as such. We're waiting to hear from the El Paso County Jail and the sheriff about the protocols there and the training, as well as exactly how many soldiers have been incarcerated there in the last three years, how often there is a psychiatrist available at the jail, and what purpose it serves to have soldiers declare they're diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. talking about a major tragedy here. This officer, um, soldier rather, for a order turned himself in. Immediately they told this man, you're doing, no, you're not doing just for the weekend. You're going to do seven days. The judge ordered two days. This goes right back to the abuse of power. It takes nothing to pick up the phone to call the court from a from a detention center and say, look, this is what we need to verify. But to treat this man, and I said last week, he asked for a Dixie cup of water. They laughed at him as he began to shut down as his family described it to be. What in the world is wrong with this country? I sit back and I'm blown away again and again and again. Someone said earlier, do black lives matter at all? That's not a question. The statement is black lives do not matter. That is the bottom line. And society wants to put a little frill up here, a little decoration here and there. Black lives do not matter. Because you have no respect for human life of an African-American and a soldier at that. I'm going to get two comments from Samson and Dennis. Dennis, your thoughts. When you hear of a soldier, decorated soldier, suffer such an end. But that tells you exactly what you just said. Black lives don't matter. Uh, they don't. They didn't care if he was a soldier. They didn't care if he had two tours in Iraq. They, they didn't care. Or in Af- Afghanistan. 
But the way it is, it's just, it's, it's, I'm telling you, this society, like you said, the culture, you know, he, he was, he had, he was, he was, he was a big, you know, he was a big guy. And automatically when you watch that video and they storm in there and it's like, you see this man laying on his back, barely, barely gasping for air. And still they're all over him. Like, Oh, who cares? I mean, Hey, you know, he bought this on himself. That's for the a, way. For a exactly. And he turned himself in. That's voluntarily. That, voluntarily. That even make make it worse. But it's just so sad that, like you said, you, you're like, man, I, I don't even want to get pulled over. I mean, just sure. because I'm black, because you don't know what's going to happen. It's just crazy out there. Samson, your thoughts? Well, I mean, as, as someone that, that's been diagnosed with PTSD, I can only imagine what was going through this man's mind when he was rushed because the fact of the matter is is you don't know what will trigger a person and so it's either it's either fight or flight and the fact of the matter is being a trained soldier doing two tours he doesn't have a flight response and then the right. fact that he comes in there i mean and they completely ignore him as a human being if you take being a soldier off the table if you th- the fact yep. that he was he self reported to do his two days if you take that off the table they still treated him so inhumanely till it I mean, why do you have to sedate somebody twice, first of all? Well, then why can you deny them the basic things of just give me a sip of water? They beat this man and I mean, they're murderers. The whole extraction team, they're they're absolutely murderers. This man just wanted to do his time, he wanted to do what's right, you know, and go home. And then instead his family, I mean you hurt you hear his relatives crying. Wondering why? Why did he survive a, a combat zone twice and can't survive the local police department? It's absolutely unacceptable. And they chalk it up to a sickle cell had nothing crisis. to do with it. How do you do? I, well, one, uh, one thing we, like I said, a number of people on this panel has been to prison, and we've been talking about culture. That's the culture of of prisons. You don't understand. Oh, he said something, uh, he cussed at me, or he said something disrespectful to me. We're going to go in, and we're going to rough him up. We're going to beat him up from those particular type words. So they're going to try to uh, get their respect back. And then if you think about the other arguments always made when a cop pulls people over and get out, just comply with what they say, and everything's going to be all right. That's not necessarily true. So if a cop gets out, starts saying Stupid things, being disrespectful to people—that that, that's not doesn't happen all the time. So, but you, you're you're a police officer. Somebody may some say something disrespectful to you, that's and not, if they do, it's not. So yep. these men, well, and then they'll they'll, they'll make things where well, they're human, and, and that's our point. These people are human, and they're subject to do and commit crimes like any other person, or or to fly off the handle to do something rash or irrational. They're human. Yeah, you're right. So they need to be judged like every other person who uh, uh, who acts irresponsibly may pick up a gun and shoot somebody. There are people every day that picks up a gun, shoot somebody uh, over some petty stuff, and you got cops doing some of the and and uh, uh, correction officers doing some of the exact same stuff. Well, they do it because I dare you to just put on TikTok. Just turn on TikTok. I promise you, in the course of a day, 
If you visit TikTok once or twice, you have officers engaging with the public rudely, disrespectful, threatening, where even a supervisor will come out and say, let him go. He hasn't done anything. But there is this macho image that I am better, bigger, and stronger than you because I have a gun. Corruption of power. Absolutely. And I, I, I'm sitting there sometimes, and I just got to go in and comment, man, what are you doing? Why are you bothering this man? You have the, I believe, the, it was a officer was stopped uh, and was told to get out of his car. He had done anything. He was, I'm not an officer, but he was a former soldier. But he was a lieutenant or a colonel, one of right, those right, two things. Right, right, I remember that. And they, on the video, this is another black man. That snatches him. I told you to get out the car. And he said, I'm trying to figure out what did I do? Because get out your car if you want to in this in this hour. Get out the car. I dare you to yawn, stretch anything. You may get eight bullets, warning shots in your back. Well, keep in mind, I just heard on the local radio last week, it was guy Richard Randall. So he's talking about, well, I've been harassed by police, but it's a white radio host. Why don't people just comply? I didn't like complying, but I got out and complied. You're not black. Yeah, and I lived, uh, uh, but some of these people just will not. Well, they still miss the point. If a police officer's treating you like garbage and he's already done an unjustified stop, and you know it's unjustified because you really were looking for a white man like we were talking about earlier. Your stop is unjustified, and then you expect just blind, uh, say-nothing cooperation from the public. If you pull me over and I haven't done anything, and it's clear I haven't done anything, and you respond uh, with some level of anger uh, and maybe a level of disrespect, uh, and the cop ends up killing you, then the, the uh, half the population comes back and say, why didn't he comply? Well, why did the cop pull him over and start doing what he did to him? That question's never asked. Well, David, there, to your point, though, even in, like, in the ca- case of Philando Castillo, he was complying. He was doing what the officer he said, I'm going to get my ID. And he kept, you hear the officer just keep yelling, don't reach for your gun. He wasn't reaching for the gun, but the officer decided to murder him in front of his fiance and his young child. He emptied his clip. He emptied his clip. The girl, the fiance is telling him, you told him to give me your license. He goes further to say, I have a weapon, but I am licensed and permitted to carry it. That is what he must do. When you do that, you're still shot to death in your car. The officer panicked, should have never been in that position. And and Philandro was very polite to the officer. He said, I'm just getting my license. But you're getting your license while black. I'm just giving you the paperwork. You're giving me the paperwork while black. And my thing is, what was he supposed to do? Tell him, like, hey, I am reaching for my wallet. I'm going to give him. I mean, what is he supposed to do? But they explained it to him. 
the, the fiance said, he, you told him. You think this man is reaching for a gun with a three-year-old in the back seat? Yeah, he was calm, talked respectfully to the officer, told him about the gun, and still got shot. After being told to go get it. After, after complying. After complying. So the Mr. whatever, Randall, is that his name? Who, who did you just name that said he complied, he had to get pulled over? But oh, he, Richard Randall. He, he runs a morning conservative talk show, uh, radio show. Yeah, get a clue, Colorado man. Plans. Mr. Randall, get a clue. Because you don't have one. And he's assuming that the officer didn't know that he was somewhat semi-famous. You're a radio host. So, of course, you're, you, you're not going to get harassed because you, you have a microphone to, hey, if this happened to you, some bad thing, I can get on the radio and, and tell about it. So he's making a lot of assumptions with that statement. But they, it's easy to do when you're not black. I'm not saying all white people or let me fix that. But he's making the, the assertion that why don't they just do it? Well, why don't you live where they live? Why don't you come from the neighborhoods they come from? Why don't you come from the actions of police officers? How do you know he hasn't lost people to gun violence by police officers in his lifetime? I mean, it's it's so stupid to me that you just make assumption after assumption. You know why? You have no feeling. Well, and it's interesting you bring up uh, the assumptions. So we you've been talking about uh, culture and. People have bought into the myth. I, I want to. I refer people back to uh, a book in 2010 called "False Justice" by Jim Petro. He's the former Attorney General of the State of Ohio. Now, Jim Petro is a Republican. So keep in mind. So we get people get caught up in Republican. They get caught up in Democrat, and they start following these titles. Uh, but he put together a book called false justice. And he talked about the eight myths that he identified. Uh, some being our system almost never convicts an innocent person. Only the guilty confess wrongful convictions are caused by innocent human error. He said, that's a myth. So this is a, a, a top law enforcement officer in the state of Ohio telling you that there's something fundamentally wrong with what people are. You mentioned assumptions. They're assuming uh, that wrongful convictions are caused by innocent human error. It is not. He 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 lived it. He's been a public servant uh, in, in the law enforcement area all his life, and he's telling you these are myths. Um, conviction errors get corrected on appeal. Another myth. Uh, uh, it dishonors the victim to question the conviction. Another myth. And he says the justice system has problems. The pros will fix it. So all of these myths, we're talking about all of this culture. Well, there's a culture of believing these myths about the U.S. criminal justice system as if it's the best in the world. It has a few problems here and there, but everybody's well-intentioned. They're out there trying to do a good job. Some people are. Some people aren't. So until you, uh, if, if you can debunk these myths and get rid of these and only way you do that, you gotta you gotta pull down and tear down these myths and almost start. Look, we got some serious problems, and don't believe this hype because it's just not uh, what everybody thinks it is. It doesn't function as advertised. But the vast majority of the public believes, and especially the white public believes that these myths are are truth, and that's that's a sad reality, and that's what uh, what uh, 
underpins the entire culture of, of, of our criminal justice system. Dennis, I agree. And because rarely are rarely does. And again, we understand, you know, there there are uh, white victims, you know, of police brutality and, you know, being murdered. But it, it's not as often as black. And, and And, you know, just to talk about the culture itself. Man believes what he wants to believe, but until it happens to him or her or their family, that's when you start getting advocates. Everybody's getting involved. But until then, it's all good. As long as it hasn't happened to a relative of mine, everything's fine. Okay, I don't I don't know anybody that got, you know, killed by the police, you know, falsely or wrongly. Uh, you know, I don't know. But until it happens, and you notice that even on this show, We've had a lot of people become advocates because of what happened to a family member and how they were treated by police or treated by this justice system. They finally found out this is a hey, this is false. This is a false narrative of what this justice system is. Yeah, and I want our listeners to know, you know, we didn't know we were going to do a part two tonight. There is so much more information. And examples of this will carry it probably one more week, and then we're going to be visiting the RP5 again. But this, I think, the conversation right now needs to be had. Has to be had because not only did we just cel- not celebrate, excuse me, remember the killing of George Floyd. Two years. That's 24 calendars, and we're no better than we were. If you don't raise that awareness, I don't know what to tell you. 229 black people killed by police since George Floyd's murder. There's no reduction. And that's what's reported. What's happening of what we never see. Maybe somebody's cell phone has died. As they struggle to die. As they struggle to live through an assault by an officer. It's unacceptable. I promise you, everything isn't recorded. It's not. We had another incident. Nick, you had the story. Share with our listeners. This happened in August of 2014. The individual's name was John Crawford III. He was a 22-year-old African-American male. And he decided to go. This happened in Ohio. To go to Walmart. And while he was shopping, he picked up an unpackaged BB pellet air rifle in the sporting section, put it in his cart, and was shopping. Another customer named Ronald Ritchie called 911, claiming that Crawford was pointing a gun at fellow customers. Um, And uh, so two cops were dispatched to Walmart, and they end up opening fire on Crawford and killing him in Walmart. But here's the thing. Ronald Ritchie... Um, after he said he was pointing his gun, when they, of course, Walmart is full with cameras, and the security footage says that uh, he was not pointing at anybody. He was on his cell phone. So then this this uh, man, Ronald Ritchie, recants his statement. Um, but what happened is he, it led to two deaths. So John Crawford was murdered by police, but then there was a young woman named Angela Williams, and from watching the police shoot this young man, she had a heart attack and died. Um by seeing this, and so her death was also ruled a homicide because it was, it was in the re- yeah uh, result of that. But here's 
what really got me is that after the aftermath, they said the police were aggressively questioning Crawford's girlfriend, threatening her with jail time. And during the interrogation, they said she was sobbing uncontrollably um, and that they said she was on drugs or drunk because she made the statement to the police. My boyfriend, John, or uh, Mr. Crawford, did not enter the store with a gun. She was unaware at the time that Crawford was already dead because police had shot him at, at Walmart. So why are you interrogating her when you know police already had already shot and killed him? killed him? And then the police said the reason why they opened fire was because he didn't um, acknowledge their commands that he kept standing there holding the gun. Hold on. The Walmart footage says immediately when they opened, uh, when they came into Walmart, they opened fire on him. So they said, you can't tell, of course, if he ignored commands because as soon as they walked in, they, they fired. Okay, the man is buying a legal Correct. hunting rifle. That's an air rifle. That's air even, not even, it's not a, it's, it's it's a, a BB, BB gun? It's a BB gun. Okay. He's purchased something from the store. But you just well, said, trying to. He didn't even get a chance. But you said the thing was in the cart. Yeah, the and they said he was, was on and he was on his cell phone. But they said at some times he did pick it up. You're looking at your groceries that you bought Doesn't in matter. his cart, but he's on his cell phone, not pointing it, not doing anything. Right. And then this man that did this didn't even get charged. No, and two people are dead because of his outright lie. Yep. So he lied and said because he's black. Correct. Uh, he doesn't have the right to go in and buy a BB gun. Correct. Without getting killed in Walmart. And from this story, how I found this story is because a black man who was a veteran said that he is licensed to carry. He said, I'm licensed to carry and I do not carry my weapon because I am black. Why? And he mentioned this specific case. He said, because you can't even be black and have license to carry because we have so many things in, in our society that says you tell the cop I have a gun and you still get shot. So well, he's like, I'm just going to keep my guns at home and I'm not going to carry them. Well, Philandro. This is a prime example, prime example of someone that said, I have a license to carry. No, you're black, so you're probably not telling well, me the truth. Well, you got to remember, who was the gentleman that recently got off uh, when he took his gun from another state? A little young man, young boy. What was this, his name? Oh, the guy in the Wisconsin? Yeah. Rittenhouse. Rittenhouse. Now, well, there Ritt we go. Rittenhouse is walking down the street carrying an AR-15. 15. And, and the police don't do nothing to him. But if he had been black with the AR-15, wait, wait a minute, hold he's on. a dead man. Hold on. And another thing to that, he's underage. He was 17 years old. He's not of legal age to carry or purchase the firearm without an accompanied adult. All right, one second. Let's take a caller. Anissa, we bring her in? Yes. Anissa, are you with us? I just us? wanted to. Yes, I'm here. I'm here. You know, I just wanted to call and say thank you for a just cause. Um, these are the things that have been going on in the hood for years. And a lot of times you feel like, you know, when you grew up in the hood, you know, you don't have a voice. But I just thank God for just cause for teaching people. You have to say something. You have to stand up and say something about these things because it just, I mean, it, it, it's, it's horrible. You know, I remember the thing. I don't know if you guys remember what happened in Starbucks when those two black guys were sitting in Starbucks. Minding yes. their own business, and somebody and called the police on them, and the police came in and arrested them. And the next day, I'm at work, and a girl makes a comment that, you know, I'm so tired of hearing about this stuff. It's just 
you know, it, it's, I'm tired of hearing about it. Um, it's nothing. We, it's just, you know, kind of making it like she's tired of hearing about black injustice for black people. So I stood up and said something like, well, I'm not tired of hearing about it. You know, I'm glad that right. somebody, I'm glad for cell phones, you know, that somebody's standing up and saying things that are not right. And who yep. ended up getting laid off? But you know what? It was yep. worth it. Because when you stand up for right, it's worth it. So I thank God for, for a just cause. You know, growing up in the hood, your parents teach you, you know, say yes, sir, no, sir, because they're just trying to bring you home safely. You know, but yep. with COVID, yep. I thank God for COVID because it's like God had COVID on the scene with everybody sitting at home. And I want to show you police brutality in the rise where everybody has to sit right. at home and watch it. Yeah. No, on their absolutely. cell phones are where. No, I think yeah. we lost her. Uh, but the, look. People have to have a voice. Yep to speak against this violence by officers. They got to have a voice. Just cause AJC radio will never stop ever uncovering injustice wherever we found it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. Wayne is in, in queue. We'll get you on the other side of the break. This is AJC radio. Whole lot to talk about. Very little time to get it in. Final discussion next Thursday. Join us at 8 PM Eastern standard time. We continue this story and these issues. Where are we now? And where were we before the death of George Floyd? This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. I surrender. I surrender. All right, Tom. Get ready for your day, buddy. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. We have a gun. What's up? We have a gun. Why do you ask that, kiddo? Can I play with it? No, no, absolutely not. It's not a toy. You know that. Do I? I bet it looks like one. Yeah, well, it's not. Anyway, I need it to protect you, your sister and mom. From what? From bad guys, like on TV. But what about the eight kids who got shot every day by mistake? Bad guys probably thought they were safe, too. Where'd you hear that? TV. Yeah, well, maybe we don't believe everything we hear on TV. Where do you keep it? <laughs> it's hidden. I bet it's on top shelf of the closet, under your sweatshirt. Is it loaded? It's not. I, I keep the bullets. In the boots with the red laces, and the chest beside the bed? I haven't found them yet, but I'm sure I can. You always told me to be curious. Remember when I found my Christmas gift? I'm a good climber, you know. No. No, that's not what I meant. Look, I, I need to be ready. If someone breaks in. What about when it's just me and mom? You taught me to be brave. I can use a gun to protect her. No, Justin, I promise. I'll teach you how to handle a gun when you're old enough. What if I don't make it to old enough? I could get bullied and decide it's too much for me. It would be so easy with our gun. Our gun? No, buddy. My gun. But it is our gun. In our home. Happens all the time. I'll make sure that doesn't happen. Always here for you. But, Dad, you're not always here. Temperatures we should reach our normal high, about 82 degrees by this afternoon. Clear skies tonight, you're below near 70. Increasing cloudiness tomorrow, sticky and humid with a high of 77.
right now, uh, while you're looking at this on your screen in your hand or on your computer, there's somebody just like you who's sitting in a prison cell. And they didn't do much more than you did, you know, some crazy weekend. You didn't get caught. They got caught. And they can never get uncaught. The United States of America is now the number one incarcerator of human beings in the world, in the history of the world. Uh, we have about 5% of the world's population. We have 25% of the world's prisoners. Um, we are, we have more people locked up than China. China, who has a billion people, they got fewer prisoners than we do. You know, a lot of times people say, well, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Really? Have, have you ever committed a crime? You got people who are doing more drugs in, on college campuses, in uh, uh, yacht clubs, country clubs. We all know that's going on, but the SWAT team never shows up there. The SWAT team shows up in the housing projects where you got poorer people doing fewer drugs, and those people go to prison. But think about it. What if one of the times when you were breaking the law, when you had something illegal in your pocket, in your car, at your party, the police had kicked in those doors, would you want to be known for the rest of your life? based on what happened that night. That is what is happening to millions of people. If rich folks' kids get in trouble, they go to rehab. Poor folks' kids get in trouble, they go to prison. And you spend $100,000 per year per kid to lock a kid up. When you could have spent a fraction of that and turned them into a NASA scientist, turned them into a, a fashion icon. When people come home from prison, they're not given the opportunity to start over. You leave a physical prison and you go into a social prison where you can't get a job, you can't get a student loan, you can't rent an, rent an apartment. How are people supposed to start over? And what happens to neighborhoods when you take a disproportionate number of people out for minor offenses and you send them back home with no hope and no opportunity? There are no more excuses to have this horrible system continue when there is now finally bipartisan agreement that it is a tragedy to do this. Not only do you have President Obama and the Democrats, you now actually have uh, people like Paul Ryan, Coke Industries, Newt Gingrich, all saying the same thing. We are locking up too many people. We're wasting too much money. We're, we're wasting too much genius in America. And it's time to do something. back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, is this has been uh, a very difficult show to do, but necessary, uh, that we take a look sincerely into what's going on in this country and the culture effects with law enforcement is taking the lives of a lot of people, and we have to put it to an end. Some way, somehow, it has to stop, and a lot of people are not aware. They think, well, George Floyd died, we marched, we protested. All over the world, things are getting better. They're not. That's the problem, and that's why we have to be the voice to speak out on it, and we will continue to do so. We got a caller in queue, Wayne. All right, Wayne, are you with us? I'm here. Um, Go ahead, please. Listen to the show, and yeah, it, it is very hard to, to listen to because it keeps happening over, over again. We talked about so many of these um, 
young black men that were murdered by the police. And it, it's it's routine for the police. You you shoot an unarmed black man, you say you feared for your life or he didn't comply, then the media goes after his character, and then we bury him. And before one is in the ground, another one is shot and murdered. Yep. And it happens again. I mean, I think they just buried the young man who was who was killed the other week that was shot sixty times. And yep. there's no accountability. And yeah, you get sick of hearing about it, but you get sick of hearing about it because it doesn't change. But I'm glad that you're shining a light on this because this kind of injustice it has to be dealt with. Absolutely and right. My comment. Appreciate Thank you for you your call, Wayne. We appreciate we appreciate it. All right. Uh, it's, it's it's very much the truth. The People always want to just hide behind. Let's sweep it under the rug. It's over with, with like the lady that made the statement to our caller, Anissa. I'm tired of hearing about it. Well, get black. Maybe that'll matter to you. But I can tell you this. I know a lot of white people that are outraged by what's going on. Make no mistake about it. I've talked to them. We've interviewed them on this show. So I'm not putting everybody in one in one lump. Please do not take it that way. But when people make a comment like that, I'm tired of hearing about it because you're not living it. It's not affecting your life. But for the people, as Anissa shared, that stepped up in Starbucks, simply to have a cup of coffee and to maybe do some work on their laptop. But the, it was the management team at Starbucks that asked them what they were doing. The Starbucks owner came out very quickly and condemned the actions of that management team, and they were fired. So there's a lot of people as a whole in this country that are outraged. I think we got Michelle in queue. Let's hear what she has to say. Hi. Michelle, are you with us? Yes, thank you for taking my call. I'm so glad you guys are talking about this. And I'd like to say, as a white woman, I'm tired of people saying, why didn't that black person comply or they wouldn't have been killed? That, to me, you are willfully ignorant to the problem. You cannot Absolutely. look as a human being to look at somebody being murdered by cops who've done nothing. If you're black, you can't do it right, wrong, or indifferent without getting shot. And I, to me, I'm tired as a white person. I'm tired of white people. You don't live that every day. If that was your kid that was murdered in the street by a cop, you'd have a problem with it. That's right. To me, it shows you are prejudiced. I don't know if you're racist, but you are absolutely prejudiced that you don't care about your neighbor, that they're being killed by cops when they did absolutely. nothing wrong. They tell you, comply. You comply, you're dead. You follow the rules, you get shot. This is an outrage. And to me, white society needs to wake up and care about their neighbor, because if they did, they would be saying, you know what, I'm sick of hearing about it. I'm going to do something. I'm going to stand with you against the wrong that these people are doing. Thank you for your time. And thank you so much for that and your passion with that. Look, I can tell you right now. If and we've had issues where uh, white individuals were abused by cops. And guess what? We were equally, I was equally outraged of what happened. I don't care if you're white, you're black, you're red, whatever you are. I got a problem with any human being. This is a human condition. These are human beings that are dying. 
we happen to highlight the African-American community because that is heightened right now. And it's been heightened for years. There's no equal justice for an African-American. Let's just face that. You know, how could you, how could you say that? Because it's a reality. It's a reality. Dave. When you look at everything that's happening, you have to be outraged. You look, this has been going on for years. They talk about the no-knock warrants. In 1971, a music um, artist wrote a song called No Knock because it was happening so often in 71. It's 2022, and it's still happening today. You have officers breaking down doors of the wrong address, and people are dying. I know of this personally. I know um, a friend of mine, the person that lived across the hall from them, the cops were on the wrong floor, kicked the door down. The person had a heart attack and died. So you see this happening over and over again. It has to stop. It has to stop. And I've seen it myself. There was a story with a grandmother, a grandmother. I think she was 70, 75, 76 years old. She had a Pepsi can on her nightstand. They came through the window. And shot and killed her. And you oh, that was the wrong apartment. Really? Are you kidding me? So when we talk about the need to put this out, it is a 911 urgency to put it out. Because we're not getting any better. We're not getting any better. And how often do you keep hearing Someone was shot to death. Jalen Walker, 60 to 90 shots. That killed this man. But we're not concerned. We should still be hearing about that story in the news. Has anybody else heard anything about it? That's another dead African-American. Just another, and another, and another. We live in tragic times. This is a tragedy. There's a time you could go to the grocery store and grab a couple of things and go home and have a nice meal. You're in danger now. Going to Walmart. The guy thought, man, I'll buy a BB gun. Went in with his girlfriend. He gets killed. Somebody explain that to me. I can tell you right now, there's no explanation. Samson, go ahead. Well, no, as we've pointed out throughout the the entire course of the show, I mean, the fact of the matter is, is it is a cultural issue. Until, you know, people wake up to that fact and stop living behind the blinders uh, that society has put on them, that the, the, the criminal justice system has put on them, to say that, oh, you know, People are just blowing it out of proportion. Nobody's blowing anything out of proportion. As, as Michelle alluded to, we have to wake up as a society and realize that our neighbors, our friends, our relatives, you know, those that are close, they're being murdered by people that are just hiding behind the badge. That's the fact of the matter of what's happening. And until people actually get outraged enough to actually do something about it, it's never going to change. No, that's absolutely right. William, you had something? Yeah, just real quick. I, you know, I had the opportunity to talk to one of the guys I grew up with. This white fella, he adopted a biracial child. And we were going back and forth on, on the same topic about 
how people their their perception. And I said, get ready, get ready to have that conversation, the same conversation that your dad didn't have to have with you about being black while driving. You're going to have to have with your child. And all of a sudden, the light went on for him. That all of a sudden, he's going to have his son that he's raised since the infant is going to face something that he did not face as a as a man or as a child. And it was an opening experience for him. And, and I think a lot of America lives with, like Sam said, they live behind those blinders. And until it hits their front door, they just, they're not going to – they don't want to get involved. They think it's something fiction. Yep. It's our job to take it to their front door and say, take a look. That's what advocates do. That's what we do at AJC Radio, Just Cause Organization. We will continue to do that. Folks, please tune in next Thursday as we present our final uh, looking back uh, two years in review um, on the death of George Floyd. I cannot go on YouTube and pull that clip up. If anything would shift the nation, you would have thought that would have done it. Because of the outrage from races all across the board. But the outrage is too short-lived. I implore you to tune in to this show next week. Um, the final, the conclusion show. So where are we now? The death of George Floyd, the death of Jalen Walker, 60 to 90 times shot in his back. And for what? Walking away. Until next time, America, stay safe. This is AJC Radio signing off. Good night.